What's up, Santa Clara? I hope you've all been doing well today. I, Emmanuel Bazuna, am your host, and I'm here to introduce to you my new podcast series titled Wealth and Ethics. To begin, I will be holding a series of podcasts where I anticipate discussing topics and additionally inviting guests to shed light on their experiences and views on the notions of wealth and ethics here at Santa Clara University. I hope to bring ethical discussions to the table regarding topics that concern our student body. I want to bring these discussions to you. So please stay tuned. And I really do hope you enjoy. Before beginning this podcast series, I would like to especially extend my deepest gratitude to the Markula Center for Applied Ethics for sharing this opportunity with me. I hope my viewers are able to learn from my experiences and gain a new perspective about many of the hidden stories here at Santa Clara University. As I said before, my name is Emmanuel Bazuna, and I'm currently an aspiring senior here at Santa Clara University. I'm a political science major and a philosophy minor hailing from San Jose, California. I begin my podcast by asking all of you to do me a simple favor, just as straightforward as simply closing your eyes and placing yourself in the shoes of a young adult living a life in their mid-twenties. Paint a vignette of a location far, far away in a region with vivid nature, beautiful tall green trees and exuberant grasslands all near an equator that generates an excess amount of crops, plants, and farm assets that can withstand a climate full of exorbitant heat but also an environment that has suffered from an inadequate amount of annual rainfall. In this region, there are animals such as elephants, zebras, wild beasts, and giraffes whom roam the grasslands. They feed and they are also fed upon by the surrounding predators that include the cheetahs and the lions. Now open your eyes. In this region live people who only know what they have experienced. A view so narrow and limited that only a person residing in this environment can attest to its realities. A perspective that I hope to further clarify and embellish so that you too can receive a glimpse of what is to come. So please, take this journey with me and discard all of your judgments and existing beliefs. Enter this space with the freedom to form new thoughts and to garnish a new perspective of the untold stories here at Santa Clara. For this reality speaks to the hidden truths of the scarce, the few, the minority. Prior to ever meeting, both my parents encountered separate lives in the rural regions of Africa. To be more specific, the rural regions of Ethiopia. Both my parents existed in a community that was considered relatively secure and rich. 
my oldest brother would define security in the terms of obtaining the necessary foods and drinks to survive. However, he would not characterize the term secure in the view of the animal kingdom that surrounded their village. My father was the person I wanted you to envision when I asked you to close your eyes and step foot into the shoes of a young 20-year-old adult. While my father found peace at home with his 11 brothers and sisters, him, his siblings, and his parents all slept in the same room, within the same hut. To my father, satisfaction was derived from the moments he had with his fellow family members and his extended village. His family found their happiness and fulfillment through their contributions to the overall well-being of the family. My oldest brother would recite to me a famous Ethiopian proverb. It stated, The one who is mistaken is the one who does nothing. The prosperity and welfare of my family was dependent upon the struggles every member had to overcome, whether it meant arising prior to the break of dawn to hunt down the gazelles and the buffaloes for breakfast, or collectively planting crops, chickpeas, wheat, barley, and cultivating cotton. Every single family member, regardless if you were an adolescent or an adult, was expected to contribute to the welfare of the family. In the autumn, the women of the family would collect the crops, while the men would go out and explore, hunt, and raise livestock. Families that obtained the healthiest and the most amount of animals were more likely to acquire more prosperity and fortune. The idea of wealth understood by my family was dependent on making the most ethical decisions on behalf of the family. This reasoning was contingent upon fostering a community that was important to the welfare of every person. The common good approach was seen as a way of ensuring that all members within the family could be a form of support for one another. Every night, as the skies began to faint and darken, members of my family experienced extreme levels of fatigue. In a village consumed of huts built with the addition of woods and grass, my father and his family entered his gloomy home in search of finally gathering with the remainder of the village in order to recite folk tales, frolic over coffee, and engage in lively conversations that embodied the love and tenderness they had for one another. This form of life became the norm for my father until he arrived to America. But one might ask, why would someone give up all of what they had to move to such a foreign place? Well, at the time of the early 1970s, the Ethiopian government had created a coalition with the Soviet Union to establish a socialist government. Many individuals living in the rural regions opposed this ideology and fought against the standing government. One reason for why such a great animosity was built up against the government was due to the inability to adequately and properly allocate resources to Ethiopians living outside of the city and in the rural outskirts of the country. 
Many people felt alienated by the government's actions, and thus, these people formed a group of guerrilla fighters and rebels that responded by violence. Such opposition groups located themselves in the same regions as my father. One late night, my father's village was raided by the government. Three of his uncles and brothers were executed for being mistaken as guerrilla fighters. My father's village was burnt to the ground. His livestock was shot and killed, and in an instance, all of the wealth that he had accumulated over his lifespan had dissipated in a heartbeat. Not only did he lose his belongings, however, he lost his sense of community. And at that moment, he traveled by foot to escape the country that betrayed him. My father became a shadow to his own country and a lost soul to his family. Such an experience made it arduous to digest the agony, pain, and misery he experienced. In a span of three months, my father and a group of men and women traveled by foot to Sudan. He considered himself a walking contradiction. My father was unable to commit to his obligations as a son, a brother, and a family member. The misery he experienced, the scars that never healed, suddenly became the depiction of his life. My father's story is one of the many stories that have been untold and hidden. An old Ethiopian proverb once stated, sitting is the act of being crippled. There was no way for my father to escape his destitute environment, and instead he did the complete opposite of sitting, and with his freedom and liberation, my father escaped the country in search for a new and improved life. A life free from intimidation, consternation, and horror. While there were no televisions or radios, the word of mouth quickly spread. The people of Ethiopia truly believed that America was the land of the free, the wealthy, and the opportune. After years and years of constant travel, my father was able to relocate from Ethiopia to Sudan to Canada and finally was able to land in California, the land of the beautiful weather, the palm trees, and the diverse community. Upon arriving to America, my father's reality hit fast when the only job he could settle was that at McDonald's. The land of the wealthy, he stated, turned into the land of grit and hard work. Soon, my father switched work and found his refuge as a taxi driver. After he began working, he was fortunate enough to meet the woman of his dreams, whom I can proudly say is my mother. The experiences of my family is one that I have personally been afraid to tell at Santa Clara University. On my first day, at school, I learned how different my experiences were than any of the Santa Clara students I had approached. I began my college experience ready to inform people of my family's background and rich culture. However, those dreams of mine soon perished. 
Coming from a home that struggles financially, I quickly learned that my wealth is incomparable to that of any student at Santa Clara University. While I do not state any of this to provoke any controversy, I do so to make aware to the student body of the levels of wealth that is imbued on our campus. I personally struggled to develop relationships with others, and additionally, I found it hard to maintain these friendships especially with individuals whom come from the total opposite spectrums of wealth than I do. I have always wondered if it were the status of my wealth that made it unable for me to maintain my friendships and do the things that many of the students on this campus can afford to do. Through holding many positions on this campus, I soon learned that my wealth was a factor. But it wasn't a prominent factor for my inability to maintain relationships here at Santa Clara University. This project serves to bring awareness to our student body. There are students on our campus who come from the top 1%, and there are also students on this campus who come from the bottom 1%. Even further, we have a range of students in between. I want to find ways to bridge this gap by helping others be comfortable when addressing their status of wealth and their ability to make relationships on campus. I find this project important to me because I want to start a dialogue on this campus, especially because I originate from a family who have two separate perceptions of the idea of wealth, that of Ethiopia's and now that of America's. I have become the fortunate member in my family to be the first to attend a university, a university that has accumulated a vast amount of wealth. I hope I was able to entertain you with this rich knowledge of my country and my personal experiences. In my upcoming podcasts, I will be presenting to you the responses of our student body regarding their perceptions of wealth on our campus. And if wealth plays a factor in our ability to create and maintain relationships with one another. Thank you so much for listening. And I really do hope you enjoyed my first podcast series. So please stay tuned because there's going to be a lot more to come. I hope you all have a wonderful day and a wonderful end to your week.